0: How's everybody doing tonight? It's doing good. It is good to gather together in the house of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles tonight. To Acts chapter twenty-seven. I'm going to wrap up chapter twenty-seven. We'll move on next week to the final chapter here in the book of Acts, chapter twenty-eight. And people keep asking, you know, well, where are we going next? And I keep telling the Bible. Yeah, we'll go to the Bible. I've been been praying rather specifically on this, a little help from um, the one who usually hears from the Holy Spirit on such things, sometimes even better than I do, so uh, Connie's been helping me, but I I do believe that the Lord is going to have us do another uh, topical series over the summer. Um, This one will be likely Foundations of Our Faith and Family, and so I I'm going to put together a bunch of topical studies that we'll link together throughout the summer that will allow people to go on vacation and not miss two or three books and those types of things. So um, pray as I'm preparing that. There's a whole bunch of topics that have come up. Of course, uh, marriage and family is going to be one of them. Uh, parenting and child rearing, as the Bible declares, will be another set. Um, spiritual warfare, we're going to look at. Uh, and our lives in christ and what that means and there's a whole bunch of subjects that i think the lord would have us cover and it gives us an opportunity um really to get some things It would take us significant amounts of time if we're going chapter and verse so for the summer we're going to take a little break from our usual chapter and verse and we'll do a, a topical series like we have done actually for several years now we usually pick something during the summer uh, to do that so i'm going to give you a little heads up Right as I was leaving the office today, and this ties in very much with Sunday's message, but it really, uh, I believe, is, is important um, for us. God's word is God's word. It's not Jeff's word. It's not the word of a bunch of you know, authors, some 66 books, 40 different authors that were written over a period of time that, that is likely at least 1,800 years. Um, It's God's infallible word to mankind, and it is authored by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us that holy men of old wrote as they were inspired of God. And so when we read the Bible, we're not reading a book of man's writing. Um, We are reading God's word to mankind. It is eternal. Uh, I believe it is infallible insofar as it's translated correctly. And let me translate what I just said to you correctly. That means that in any type of a situation where you're attempting to convey something with words or language, uh, it has definite meanings within the words themselves, um, within the syntax, how we understand those words, within the context. So there are things, and I've pointed them out to you over the years, that we find in Scripture that are, um, they could be translated better into English. If we happen to have been Greek or Aramaic speaking and we could have the original text, we'd probably get a very solid understanding living in that day and time. Some of the things that are translated into English in Scripture are uh, debatable, and that's why when we get to those problem passages, I pull those out to you. Every once in a while, a word probably needs to be changed here or there. But largely, your Bible is very, 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 very trustworthy in English. And it is about minutia that we now uh, haggle over to try and get an absolute perfect understanding of what Scripture says. But Scripture is God's Word. If we throw out Scripture, the purpose for us meeting together tonight might as well be a group therapy session. It might as well be us talking about philosophy uh, we could be talking about who's winning the the, the heat Celtics game right now. We, the, there would be all kinds of reasons to get together. We still might enjoy one another's company. But what we do when we get together to study God's word is we're seeking to know the truth. We're, we're studying God's word so that we might apply it to our lives. And it is... Quite frankly, appalling and stunning to me, some of the things that are happening in the world today with regard to how the church views God's word. Uh, released today, an article came out right as I was leaving the office. Um, Presbyterian Church of America. This is one of the larger denominations here in the United States. Some 2.1 million members in the in the PCA uh, announced today that they are going to move to ordain homosexuals. Now, some of the churches knew that this vote was coming have already pulled out. Um, But here's, let me just help you understand how critical this is for us as we study God's word. If we're just gathering together to hear me talk, then let's all go home. Quite bluntly and very frankly, let's just go home. If that's all you've come to do is listen to some nutcase in a Hawaiian shirt. You need help. (laughs) We are studying God's Word. It's His message to mankind. It has endured for millennia. And, And here, the Presbyterian Church used to have within their constitution... It says, and I quote, from their constitution, that all ministers, elders, and deacons must, and now I quote, live in fidelity with the covenant of marriage between a man or a woman, a man and a woman, or in chastity in singleness. Okay? That's what it used to say. They are now tossing that out, replacing it with this. Joyful submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in all aspects of life. Now, at first glance, one would say, well, doesn't that say the same thing? The answer is, yes, it does, if you believe that God's word is infallible and inerrant, and it is what we need to know for life and godliness. But that's not what they mean. What they mean is, this does not say what it says, and it does not mean what it means. Because I would remind you that Jesus himself there in John fourteen fifteen, said, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what he said. He said in John chapter 8, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Jesus himself made it very clear that the word of God is not to be trifled with. The word of God states very plainly in Leviticus chapter 18 that a man shall not lie with a woman as with a man, for it is an abomination unto the Lord. So you either believe what it says and do what it says, or you don't. You can't change it to make it say what you want. Because if you can, then why can't you throw out, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself? It is a gift of God. What, what what place do you stop when you begin to alter the Word of God? We've come to study the Word of God. Exodus chapter 20 laid out the Ten Commandments very clearly, and one often misses the, the final commandment. You're not to covet anything, and that includes your neighbor's wife. That includes his manservant or his female servant. That includes any other thing on this earth. And so to, to take a stand as a, quote, Bible-believing church, and then to cause people to stray from the belief that God's Word says what it means and means what it says, is the most damnable kind of heresy there is. And we're going to pray that this gets reversed. I'm going to pray that the whole thing blows up and they all go their separate way and become community churches or whatever. Because we're here to study God's word. That's what matters. Doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God's word says. And so, I'm telling you, folks, the world is coming unraveled rather quickly. And a very famous guy whose name begins with J, uh, and it's not Jeff, has the same second the E said it would be like this before the Son of Man comes. And who knows? But I know this. When, when the denomination that had, has had great men of faith, like D. James Kennedy, goes this direction. A man whom I admire and one of the most excellent Bible expositors of this last century, when the church that he sat in, That denomination begins to say that God's word really doesn't mean that. You know, basically God owes Sodom and Gomorrah an an apology for what he did to it. I don't believe so. I believe God knows exactly what he said and said exactly what he meant. It's not up to us to change it. So may we cling to the word all the more tightly because it's going to get challenged. Because there are a bunch of pro-homosexual groups right now that are just jumping up and down. Great, we just won another battle. And it's just very, very frightening because things that I've been telling you for years are unfolding before us like never in the course of the history of this nation. It is, it is getting more and more likely that to speak with authority to the things that are contained within God's word could very well become a hate crime. When you have Protestant denominations that used to have very high regard for God's word saying, well, I guess it doesn't mean that. It means that. Let's pray. Father God, we we want to pray for our brothers and sisters who right now are worshiping you in a presbyterian church someplace in this country and they've heard this news and their hearts are grieved. Lord, we are grieved with them. And Father God, we pray for the leadership of the presbyterian church in America that Lord you would lay hold of that leadership with a mighty hand for you have declared in your word that for those who add or take away from the words of these books, so the curses contained within them will be theirs. That's the ending to the book of Revelation. And, Father, we pray that that would not be necessary, that, God, you'd change that ruling, Lord, that you'd overturn it. and pray that there be such an outcry from the saints within the church that it simply would not happen. And, God, that is not to speak against the value of any human being. But your word has plainly declared the context of marriage. Your word has plainly declared that we are to live not in committed relationships, but in married relationships. Your word has declared these truths to us, and we believe them. We, we believe that your word declares that homosexuality and all of its facets is, in fact, an abomination to you, just as is drunkenness and fornication. And so, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us now as we study your word. We pray that you would teach us, Lord, from it, that we garner these truths in our hearts and our minds, and that we'd not stray from what your word tells us. We bless you. We thank you. We ask now that you would just instruct us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 27, we'll pick up in verse 27, but I really want to take just a step back because as we begin now to close up this amazing book, it's important for us to keep in context at all times what's really happening here. And what is happening in these last two chapters is God is making good on the promises that he's made to the Apostle Paul. And I'll close tonight with several things I think we can glean from just this last chapter, chapter 27. It is imperative, family, as things grow worse, as who knows what's going to happen with our nation, with our economy, with global terror. We don't have any idea. But I know this God's been allowing tragedy for millennia, God has been allowing things to unravel for centuries. It has been very, very, very few times in the course of human history that war hasn't been the norm on this planet. There have been very few times in our own human history here in this country to where we we have not been engaged in some type of military conflict somewhere, and we are today, tonight. God allows bad things to come in the lives of his children. The good news is that doesn't thwart his plan. The good news is, as we saw last week, the storms of life are opportunities for us to see the hand of God very often in mightier ways than we see in those times of great blessing. And so as we ended last time, picking up in verse 23, For there stood by me this night, and remember, they have now crossed a vast majority of this nearly 2,000-mile journey. They have just spent, we'll find out here very shortly, about two weeks crossing from Fair Havens on the Isle of Crete. They are going to make it to the coast of Malta. That's a journey of about 500 miles. Uh, Even a drift, the average ship will drift 30 to 40 miles a day, probably 35, 38 miles a day, just drifting with the tide, with the winds if there's a storm driving it. And so, for there stood by me this night in the face of that storm, what they'd already been through, all of the stops along the way to get to that place, halfway at Fair Havens, they're now an an additional 500 miles, uh, getting close to the coast of Malta, so now 1,500 miles into into a nearly 2,000-mile journey. It's likely taken the better part of two months to make that journey. For there stood by me this night an angel of of God, To whom I belong, an angel who says to him, Do not be afraid, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Again, Paul is reminded of the promises of God. He's been through the trials. He's been through the tribulation. He's been before three governing officials. He spent two years between the time that he was in prison and before he finally went to, to see Festus. He's now spent time with King Agrippa. The Jews have been after him the whole time. They have threatened his life. It began with a false arrest. This guy's life has largely for the better part of now three years, been completely unwound. It's unwrapped, and it looks like it's going worse than it's ever gone before. Sometimes the Lord allows those times in our lives. I keep talking to person after person after person here in our community that it seems like they're in the same state. No, they're not out in a boat in the middle of the Mediterranean, the southern Uh, adriatic sea they're they're not that type of a situation but they haven't been able to keep a steady job for four years they they haven't had uh, a mortgage payment made consistently two months in a row Uh, they've lost a job wife's lost a job their their children are uh, part of this whole condensation of the rim school district they're wondering what's going on god haven't i faithfully served you haven't I done all the things you've asked me? Why am I, I I'm being tried and I'm being tested and I'm being blown by the wind and I'm out in the middle of the ocean and I don't know what's going to happen and I'm afraid and, and God, where are you with all this stuff? Where are you, Lord? And so now we come to the shipwreck. We come to that time to where it seems like everything falls apart. It's not bad enough, all the things that we've already seen. But now it seems as though the only thing that Paul has to hang on to, and I want you to notice this, the only thing he has to hang on to is the promises of God. That's it. He hasn't got a single other thing to hang on to. He doesn't even, he's about to not have a boat. He's been tossed. He doesn't have food. Everything that he's, in essence, been able to hope and trust in up to this point in time is about to come apart underneath his feet. And this is after he's faithfully served. This is such a poignant lesson for those of us that have walked with the Lord for a while. Because we do get that impression that, you know, maybe it's just going to go like this forever. And it might Maybe you're going to be one of those rare individuals to where God just brings you blessing after blessing, after blessing, after blessing, and you don't go through many storms. But I can tell you this, you are going to have an occasional shipwreck. You, you may not be having a big storm. It might not take months or years, but, but you might be like one of the guys I talked to a couple of weeks ago. Faith loves the Lord, faithfully loves the Lord. Lives down the hill, came up here, bought a house, and, you know, got talked into some, you know, wonderful program by some real estate person of less than charitable character. And, you know, now he finds out he owes like $200,000 in back taxes. I was like, what? Uh, the, the ship seemed like it was going okay, but it's just about ready to drive on the rocks. What are you going to do? Who are you going to hang on to? I I'm preaching to the choir. I know, but we're all going to probably be tested in this way, in some way, shape, or form. As we grow in Christ, there's going to be a time where what seems like a, a journey that maybe is coming to it might end in shipwreck. And it says there, but take heart. Notice what it says. Therefore, take heart, men. Paul now speaking. For I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. For I believe God. Do you believe God? Start tonight's study with, do you believe God? Do you believe that he'll never leave you or forsake you? Do you believe that he will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? Do you believe that his mercy endures forever? Do you, do you believe that my God is the God of mercy? That mercy is new every morning. Do you believe that he's Jehovah Rapha? He's the healer. Do you, do you believe that he is Jehovah Sidkenu? He's, he's the, the one who is our righteousness because I'm not very righteous sometimes. You see, do you believe God? Do you trust God? Are you waiting on God? Or are you waiting on our government? Are you waiting for your ship to come in, so to speak? Because if you're trusting in anything other than Jesus, if your eyes are fixed someplace other than heaven, then I guarantee you there is a shipwreck coming. I can't tell you when, but I can guarantee you you're going to experience one. Because the things of this earth are passing away. Scripture even declares the lust of it. In other words, the desire for it. Is even passing away. I was talking this morning and just realizing how much we need to keep an eternal perspective in these days and times. Are you trusting God? He says, I believe that God will be just as it was told to me. However, notice what he says next, however, and circle the word must, we must run aground on a certain island. Circle the word must. This is a God ordained shipwreck. This is, Paul's making the distinction between an accident and the divine hand of God. We must. There's something God's going to do with the shipwreck. There's something the Lord is going to accomplish in that time of difficulty. That time of trial. That, that moment of fear and panic, that, that instant when you, you, you think that you can't take anymore. So many people over at Kevin Garland's memorial service. What do you do when your husband's dead? I can tell you what pastors do when, when those things happen. You pray for some kind of word from the Lord to know what to say. Because nobody's prepared for that. It's a shipwreck. What do you do when you walk in, your boss hands you your pink slip? You've been there for 20 years. It's a shipwreck. But if God is God, and I believe He is with all my heart, and He's sovereign in the heavens, and He knows exactly what He's doing, and thereby there are only two theories upon which we can hang our hat for the things that happen on this earth, And one is he either outright causes them to happen, in other words, he ordains them, or he allows them for a purpose. In either case, he still has full control. So God allows shipwrecks. God allows car crashes. God allows, he may not have ordained them, but he allows those things to happen. And here Paul says, we must be shipwrecked. Would you get that in your head? Because there are times when you're going you're gonna to crash on the rocks. Your ship is going to sink, so to speak. You're going to go through things, and it isn't going to... Is any of this Paul's fault? Ask yourself that question. Is any of this Paul's fault? Not one bit of it. Nothing for the last three years has been his fault. He was falsely arrested in the first place. And everything that's happened since... Has been a false accusation on a false accusation on a false accusation. Hasn't had anything to do with the truth whatsoever. And yet look where he is three years later. Still clinging to the God who loves him. Yep, I trust God enough to know that even a shipwreck is ordained. May we be able to say that in our own hearts. And so... They must run aground, and sure enough, they do. And remember, there's 276 people on this ship. Not one of them is going to be lost. I love that, because even when God allows things to happen that we don't understand, this nightmare at sea, he brings good out of nightmares at sea. Now, I can guarantee you, for the ship's captain, he's thinking, I've lost all my stuff. Well, some of you are thinking maybe the same thing. I know I have at times. God, I've lost all my stuff. What are you doing? Couldn't you have done this some other way? Could I remind you that His own Son, Jesus, prayed in the garden, Lord, if there be any way, let this cup pass from me. If God, in His sovereign plan found it necessary, and he said that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So it was necessary that Jesus die on Calvary's cross. How much more so do you think it's highly likely that some things are going to happen in our lives, quite probably because God loves us, and because it is his way? Maybe he's going to do something in our lives that no other way would really do. I can tell you in my own life there are multiple things I look back on now with hindsight because that's the key. You're looking back and you oh now I can see it. I was an idiot. You know, I was really a jerk. I had a problem, it needed to be fixed, and so God had to break me. But when you're going through it's like why, Lord? Paul could have been saying why, but he wasn't. And now we pick up in verses. Uh, 2728 and on the 14th night we're still being driven across I'm reading from the NIV again for a little more modern translation across the Adriatic Sea so they're between the coast of Greece the Aegean Sea they've already crossed over they have now rounded on the leeward side of Crete they are out past Fair Havens which is on the island of Crete they have gone all the way across the whole southern part of the Adriatic Sea they are now in the Mediterranean. They've been bobbing around like a cork for two weeks. 500 and probably about 20 miles total journey, depending on how far they drifted in what line. But say 500 miles for two weeks. Now remember, getting there wasn't to Fair Havens wasn't exactly good either. So here it seems like after all that, you could look at this two ways. Either I still trust God, He got us across that 500 miles, or God hates me so much that He's now going to kill me in a shipwreck. That's the two views, isn't it? The optimist, spiritually, and the pessimist, spiritually. God, you love me out here to die. Remember Job's wife's counsel? Why don't you just curse God and die? You're obviously a scuzzbucket. He is, you know it's pretty obvious God wouldn't allow this to happen to good people. I mean, come on, just get get over with it you, you see, from God's view, he's preparing something that's majestic. We just don't know what it is yet. Driven across the Adriatic Sea, and when about midnight the- the sailors sensed they were approaching land. And the Greek tense there is that they likely could hear the waves, that that sensing was due to their actual senses. In other words, we think sense like in some type of sixth sense, but the Greek here actually seems to indicate that they were probably hearing or feeling the wind changes. You might have heard the breakers. Who knows what was going on? But they sensed, in other words, understood that they were approaching land. And so they took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. And a short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Whenever you approach, if you've sailed much or been out off the coast of our state here in California, you know that there's pretty typically a shelf area around almost any island. It doesn't really matter how big the island is. And it's the remnants of the erosion of the coast of that land and it begins to get shallow as you approach land. And so the fact that it's changing like this means they are rapidly approaching an island. This is, this is not something that's happening slow. They're getting really close. And so as they're doing this, they, they now drifted all this way and they're about ready to go on the rocks. I mean, you talk about a desperate situation. I remember one time we were sailing our boat. Uh, back into Oceanside Harbor. And Oceanside Harbor down in San Diego County is pretty famous for having a very, very, very gnarly harbor mouth. As a matter of fact, it breaks in there very frequently, 8 to 10 feet high. And when you're in a you know, a less than 30-foot long sailboat and you have a 10-foot wave, that is enough to turn you upside down, drive you right smack dab into the bottom. And I, I remember coming back in one time, and I'm looking at it, and I'm kind of like, well, oh, maybe we should kind of wait a little bit, and... It was just late in the afternoon, and I think Connie's eyeballs were about this big, and just we're just gonna go for it, you know. But you, you, you're thinking we're gonna die. It's just we're gonna be turtled. The mast is gonna be stuck in the bottom, and it's gonna be over. Now you can imagine these guys. Remember what they had done they had just taken ropes and bound together a wooden ship so it wouldn't break apart in the open ocean now it's going to get into where the breakers are going off there's probably rocks we're going to find out they actually hit a sandbar which has been excavated by the way and actually what's called St ba- St Paul's Bay on the island of Malta there is actually a bay there named after him uh, and they're they're being driven into the breakers now in a ship that's already coming apart and it's midnight This is not good, and yet Paul's saying, "I trust God." When things start to come apart, do you still trust God? When things aren't going the way you think they should, do you still trust God? It's a word for all of us, myself included. Do you still trust God? We've been talking about a few things at our house this last couple of weeks. We're just like, oh, I don't know how God, you know, and me in my normal my normal mental state is, well, let's get our spreadsheet. You know, that's that's just how I function. I I can't. You know, it's one of those things God uses that gift occasionally, but sometimes it really gets. Well, let's get a spreadsheet. I make a spreadsheet, and put all these things on there. The spreadsheet'll fix it. <laughs> spreadsheet is not fixing this one. You still trust God? Yeah, you, know, you believe in that God's brought you thus far, and He's going to see you through. Both modern oceanographic research and these things recorded by Luke are absolutely positively identifying the coastline of the island of Malta. Matter of fact, there's been tremendous amount of oceanographic research done in that area. All kinds of ships that have run aground on this very same sandbar, uh, including some of the size. Verse 29, fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Now, isn't that kind of interesting? I love the way that Luke notes that they prayed, because these guys weren't praying before. This is what happens when you stand your ground as someone who loves the Lord, and everybody else is looking at you. What's Paul doing? Paul's not fretting. He's saying, I trust God. And so he's, let's all pray. They may not even necessarily believe that their prayers are going to be answered. But all of a sudden, they're being affected by the life of this one guy who's saying, I trust God. Don't underestimate your value in that realm. They threw down four anchors from the stern, pretty typically on a ship like this. There, there may have been as many as two dozen anchors. We think of our modern day ships to where the anchors brought up by a huge winch and it perhaps is multiple tons, if not tens of multiple tons. And. Uh, that, that was not the case with these. They were actually usually large stones with a hole that had been bored in the middle of them with rope on them. And so they would use as many as was necessary because they're coming in bow first. They let down the ones on the stern. At least the ship would stay straight. Now, if you know anything about sailing, about the last thing in the world you want to do is go over a wave straight. You don't do that. That is a good way to have your ship busted in half. But that's what they're doing. So they're heading this... Uh, distance that they have yet to go, and, and I want you to notice something. There's kind of a there's kind of a hidden thing here. There's God's part and there's our part. Sometimes all you've got left is pray, folks. There isn't anything else you can do. You've let down the anchors. You you've been wise with your funds. You you've been a good employee you've gone to school, you've raised your kids, you've done all the things that you can possibly do, you've done your part. The only part you have left now is to pray to the one who always sees the final product done. And that's God. You can't do any more than that. So don't think of it as the court of last resort. It's the one thing we need to be doing when things aren't going the way we think they should. Anybody else guilty of praying last? Pray first, and then pray last, but don't just pray last. Don't pray after you're already heading for the rocks. Pray before you get to the rocks, and then while the rocks are coming up, you can still pray, but you've done your part up to that point in time. It's a great reminder for us. They drop some anchors to stop the ship, to keep it from running aground. They're trying to keep it out of the breakers, so to speak. They understand that if they go all the way in, they're going to break up. Um... There wasn't even anything that they could really do. And, and we don't really know if the phrase is translated that they were praying. Maybe these gods were praying to their pagan gods too. Maybe they were on the bottom of the ship crying out to Neptune or Poseidon, the, the Greek god of the seas. Because there was a, a, a tendency to understand from a Roman and from a Greek point of view that when something disastrous happened at sea, that was God taking vengeance on you. You were supposed to die. If you survived, you became a hero. If you didn't, then God had his way with you. And so here they are. They did what they could, and they entrusted the rest, to at least from Paul's perspective, to the Lord. Verse 30, And in an attempt to escape from the ship, The sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea. Remember, they had hauled it up previously. Highly likely they only had one. More than likely it held probably 20 people, something like that, maybe a little more, possibly even a little less. So uh, they let down that into the sea and pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. So they got this plot together. That they're going to get in the boat, they're going to go around to the bow of the ship, which highly likely this ship was at least 140 to 180 feet long. They go off the stern where the anchors are already down. The st- ship is still drifting towards the crashing breakers and towards the coastline, towards what we will finally find out as a sandbar. But they're they're floating, and all of a sudden, these guys get plan. Well, we can escape. We're going to go let down some anchors from the bow. We're going to stop this thing right here so that we can be saved. We'll wait until morning. And then Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Who's he trusting there? God said every last one of them is going to be saved. You get off the ship, you're going to die. That's a tough thing. You ever been forced to tell somebody that you love, that the direction they're going is going to kill them? That you've been listening to God, God's told you what, from His Word some specific thing. You know, maybe it's your kids and you, you're instructing them in those things of righteousness and you've spoken to them about some situation of life and here's what God's Word says. You can do whatever you want, but you better stay with the Lord because if you leave the Lord, it's going to cost you. That doesn't make you very popular. It has a tendency to make people kind of irritated. And I can only imagine, here's Paul's busting these guys, talking to the centurion, which is in essence the leader of the rest of the guys who are now in the boat. They think they're going to get away. Paul's spoiling their plans, and Paul says, Thus these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. He's basically saying the whole plan is we all get saved or nobody gets saved. We all make it or nobody makes it. And so the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. That's a powerful witness. Can you imagine what Paul's witness must have been like, that these guys abandoned their plan? I said, you know what? We're, we're going we're gonna to stick with what the Lord's told Paul. This group of sailors not convinced after Paul's earlier assurances. Remember, he's been saying the same things all along. Any of the rest of you had that experience in your life where you've been telling people the same thing year after year after year? Maybe you're now in that second decade of telling somebody about the Lord and what God's done in your life and you've been witness to it and they've seen it in you and they're still going the wrong direction. You keep telling the same thing. It's where Paul is with these guys. The guys are going out in the ship's dinghy. They, they dropped this, this additional anchor. Paul discerns their real intentions. God gives you a word of wisdom, word of knowledge. And sometimes, you know, there's nothing left for us to do but hang in there and keep praying. Do what you can. Keep praying. And so the centurion, some of the soldiers cut the life, lifeboat free. <clears throat> that sinking ship is very much like life on this earth. You know, sometimes we look at things so wrongly. You know, we think if we get this or we get that or we move into this house or we buy that car, or we get this job, or we get this education, we have these friends, we have a couple of kids, or we're married for this long. You know, we all list these things in our lives that if we have all these things, and we've made it. You realize that every ship on this earth is a sinking ship. Every last one of them. When you get down to the end, you're not taking a bit of it with you. (laughs) Nothing's going on to heaven, folks. It's all staying here. Uh, It's all a sinking ship. So if your ship is sinking, you're just a little bit ahead of maybe the rest of us. So Paul's encouraged to some degree. And I think the great lesson here is it's far better to be in danger and in the middle of God's will than to be in safety and not in His will. So very often we have all kinds of safety. You know, we put our hope and trust maybe in things or money or relationship. We, we're, we're hoping and trusting not in the Lord, but we're hoping and trusting in the things of this earth that are sinking. And from our little limited perspective, while we're here, those things that are sinking, they're sinking so slowly that we don't see them sinking. Or we think we can get, a, we'll be the one person. Well, it never happened to me. Can I, can I tell you, a vast majority of human experience tells us that everybody goes through stuff in their life at some point in time that they have no explanation for. And so here they are no matter how desperate the situation becomes, Paul says, you know what? I'm going to hang on to God. He's the only one that's going to weather this ultimately, so I'm going to hang on to Him. Verse 33, And as darkness gave way to early morning light, Paul begged everyone to eat. He's basically saying, you know what, guys? We saved all this food for what? We're trying to make it to shore with something. If God can get us across 1,500 miles of ocean, I'm not really all that worried about what island I'm going to be on stranded. So let's make sure that we at least get there. And he says, go ahead, eat. You haven't touched food for two weeks. Please eat something now for your own good. And notice what he says, for not a hair on your heads will perish. He's so confident in the plans of the Lord that he says, you know what? We're, we're not going to be destitute out here on this island. God's already told me I'm getting to Rome. I got to get on this island. I've been told I'm going to be shipwrecked on this island. We're all getting off this island alive. That's how much he trusts the Lord. These are the promises: He will never leave you or forsake you. That's what Paul's hearing. He's not hearing waves. He's not hearing the creaking of the ship. Not that those things aren't going on, and in a true sense, of course, he's actually hearing them, but he's hearing past them is probably a better way to look at it. He's seeing beyond the obvious. He's not just seeing the storm, he's seeing the one who controls the storm. He's seeing the one that can take care of the shipwreck. He's the one that's got it in his hand. And he took some bread and gave thanks to God before them all and broke off a piece of it and ate it. And I don't believe he was trying to celebrate communion. I think he was giving glory to the Lord. I, we don't know what he prayed. I would love to have that prayer. You know, if it was me, Lord, help these idiots to stay in the ship. You know, that's, that's the type of thing that I think of when I'm in situations like that. You know, maybe you ever prayed those guiding prayers when people are around? You actually have something you want to say to them, but you don't have enough guts to say it, so you pray it. Yep, I'm listening sometimes. Yeah, every once in a while, he's just, Lord, I hope they get it, and uh, you know, I don't think that was Paul's prayer. I think he genuinely thanked the Lord. Lord, if this is who I, if this is going down the way I think it is, I know we're going to be fine. I know we're going to be safe. You promised it. I believe it. And thank you for this incredible provision right here in the midst of this storm. And he gives it to them. And there's some, again, there's God's part, there's man's part. I think part of the man's part here is they're going to have to swim to shore. You know, there's a pretty obvious thing here. Uh, They weren't going to make it all the way in. The ship's not going to make it. They've already let down some anchors. They're heading for breakers, probably for waves. This thing's going to come apart. They're going to have to get to shore. They're not going to do that too well if they're starved to death. Paul promises them that, of that safety. Uh, I, I just I just love the way that Luke records all this. And I, I've often wondered when I read this passage of Scripture, I wonder what Luke was doing when Paul was saying these things. You know, as you're sitting over there with a the little scribal tablet, you know, it would have been wax and normally clay or perhaps some type of parchment thing. These scribble waves are coming over the back. Like, what did he say? Who said that? You know, he's scribbling it all down. God's good. He records these things for us to remind us of just how big our God is. So, Then everyone was encouraged. Now notice this. One guy's faith in the Lord encouraged everybody. I, I can tell you, we're, we're heading back to Washington, D.C. here in a couple of weeks. If you have ever traveled to Washington, D.C. and you're involved at all in any type of political realm, you realize how short-handed the body of Christ is in that arena and you talk about lonely now these guys like Tony Perkins and Harry Jackson some of these men that'll we'll go see the family research council in general when you when you go there on what's called lobby row and you you realize that next to family research council is the human rights campaign and the ACLU and you just look at it's just like all of these anti-god groups and there's one group that's just like we're going to trust God We're going to believe God for what he said. We're going to do what his word says. It buoys the strength of other believers. They look at it, you know what? If they can do it, I can do it. We're in it together. And then everyone was encouraged, and all 276 of us began eating. For that's the number that we had on board. And after eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing cargo of wheat overboard. Now they're getting it. They're going to make it. And they're going to do everything they can. They're not hanging on to anything of the earth. Such an important part of this, this learning curve that we go on when these storms come and these shipwrecks are, are imminent. Ultimately, they're in the thing on this earth that's going to support you when it all starts to go. If you're hanging on to anything other than Jesus, then whatever you're hanging on to is destined to fail. And so they're chucking the wheat overboard. They're gonna eat, well, might as well eat the food rather than throw it in the ocean. On one hand, they're taking the practical steps. On the other hand, they're walking by faith. He said, you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna make it. God says so. And in order to make it, we're gonna to have to do something that's very, very, very hard to do. And that's let go of the things of this earth. Can you imagine what the captain's thinking? No, not the wheat. We've made it 1500 miles. Save the wheat. Throw the people overboard. that they were encouraged, and I believe they were encouraged by the Apostle Paul. Some people have debated because of the fact that the number is named here. I like the fact that the number is named here because, fortunately, now that we have modern oceanographic research vessels, and we can do sonar and side scanning, radar images, and all kinds of wonderful things of ocean floor, They've actually found several vessels of this size. In fact, they found one that is probably like the one that Flavius Josephus wrote of uh, in the early first century that held over 600 people. So not only were they possible, we've actually found some of them. So for people, well, no, there's no way you could have a wooden boat that big. Not only they did, they had them twice this size. And so that's been archaeologically proven that that's not any type of an exaggeration of any kind. And so here they are in this boat, and they're being driven. They hadn't eaten. They're jettisoning. They're getting rid of ballast. Now they're going to lighten the load so it would ride higher up in the water and be able to get to shore or at least closer to shore before it finally ran aground. It's one of the things about uh, any type of sailing. Uh, one of the reasons that the Exxon Valdez did the damage it did is because it was fully loaded. If it had been empty, it went right over the top of the reef that it hit. It begins to draft more water because it's so they lighten it up. They can get in closer before it ran aground. Verse 39, and then in the morning they did not recognize the land. And what they're saying is is they hadn't been there before. They were so far off course they're going, oh, you know where this is. But they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned to run the ship ashore if they could. And so now they're actually able to see what they couldn't see before. Sometimes you just have to wait for daybreak, folks. You know, the nights are tough, and and that's the nights mentally, spiritually, emotionally. You you, you don't know what's going on. You can't see. None of the details are visible to you. But then when it does happen, God kind of shifts your focus enough, hey, this is a little more likely plan here, and go with what God tells you. They planned to run that ship ashore if they could, and so they cast off the anchors and And left them in the sea. So now remember, they let down the anchors on the stern of the ship, these large stone rings basically, which by the way, they found hundreds of these in the Adriatic and the Aegean Sea. They were very common. Uh, They let off those anchors. At the same time, they loosened the ropes that they tied to the steering oars. So the steering oars were out on the stern of the ship, and they've loosened those up so they can do. Uh, Do some maneuvering around with them. They're hoisting the foresail into the wind. So you can see this was actually partially a sailing vessel uh, as well. Uh, Now the wind is driving them towards the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the ship (laughs) aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the force of the waves. So you can see they're pretty close to shore by now. They've reached that place to where the waves are breaking on the stern of the ship. It's beginning to break them up, and so these disoriented sailors having traveled all this way across open ocean, by the way, this would have been the first thing that they would have seen since leaving Fair Havens. There are no other islands out there. That's it. This is the next thing. Had they missed this one to the south, they could have gone right down the middle of the Mediterranean Sea or to the coast of Africa. So this is a, this is a God thing. Uh, the geography, the topography of what's known as St. Paul's Bay there in Northwest island iron uh, side of Malta uh, fits this description. So they're going to run it ashore. There's a bay there, it's got a sandy beach in front of it. Uh, you can go there today. and so they cast off the anchors. they're trying to get up as much speed as they can, and boom, they hit the reef. Uh, it becomes wedged there, and striking that underwater barrier, what's really interesting is is on the island of Malta, there's actually a place, it's called a trombolo, it's where two currents meet one another, and they deposit sand from both sides, and they're actually quite rare in the world, but there is one of them there, and it's highly likely that's what they hit. So you have the current coming from the Adriatic, the current coming up from the Mediterranean, and boom, they run aground on it. So they're sitting there in that spot. Uh, all kinds of artifacts have been fetched off of that particular reef. And so their next stop was supposed to be Phoenix, uh, so... The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. And so now the soldiers are going, look, we're Roman soldiers. These guys are prisoners. If they escape, then we have to die. So they're all starting to think for themselves. In, in time of crisis, people do that. Don't, don't be dismayed. They're not all of a sudden becoming something they weren't before. It's just that their true colors are coming out. Disaster does that. It brings out what's actually uh, in, internal in most people. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life, and when he kept them from carrying out their, and then he kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those that could swim to jump overboard first and get the land, and the rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship, and this way everyone reached land safely. What an amazing plan of God! You notice how all the the right little components are here. Now you would think this is a for all intents and purposes this is a Roman expedition. You've got a centurion on there. He's under death penalty if Paul gets away. The guards that are with him are under death penalty if the prisoners get away. I mean there's there's a whole lot to be lost here. But when God's people do God's things God's way, people begin to take notice and all of a sudden they're like, "You know what? Paul's been right all this time. Let's go with Paul's plan." And so the centurion sees that and so he calls off the plans of the rest of the people, his own soldiers. And, and it's interesting, too. There could have been a little thought in the back of his mind, because, again, as I mentioned to you, in, in Roman mythology and in Greek mythology, if you survive a shipwreck, that was God's sign of favor on you. So he may have been thinking, you know, hey, maybe this guy Paul's actually in touch with, you know, Neptune or, you know, Poseidon or somebody. We don't, we don't know that he actually came to the Lord but it's just the way that God works those things out in the lives of, of people who are watching us live out our lives when we go through storms and we go through shipwreck. They have to take stock of their own life. They've got to look, you know, how does this how does this work for me? It becomes very personal then. And that's why I've always shared with you, you, you have no more powerful way to display the things of God than with your own life and your own testimony. The things that you go through are the most powerful things that you have to deal with when you're talking to other people. Those things that you yourself have experienced. It's always fun to recount other people's lives and talk about the things that, that they've done. But when you've done it yourself, when you've gone through it yourself, when you've ministered in that type of situation, and then you have an opinion on it where you give glory to the Lord, it makes it that much more credible. And so that was Paul. In Greeks. The Romans, they thought they'd just dump them at sea, and if they lived, oh well. Then I guess they were favored by Neptune, or they were favored by Poseidon. Apollo Paul saying, oh no. You see, for God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of repentance. There's a huge difference between the Roman gods with the little g, and the God who dwells on high, and the one who has come to save us, our Savior, because he wants everybody to make it. You see, the Romans thought, well, the strong made it. The truly worthy made it. It's, it's a huge picture for us to look at. It's just the way the world functions. you got a little miniature world here in this ship full of 276 people. you got all these people thinking, well, by human effort, I can do it. By guile, I can get it done. If I'm the strongest, I can get Aren't those the human reasonings for doing most things? And then Paul comes along and says, I'm going to do what God told me to do. I'm going to stick with his plan. We may not have a leg to stand on with with how this is going to come out according to intellect. Maybe it doesn't make any sense at all. But when God speaks, it's up to God to do it. So there's four things I want to leave you with tonight just very quickly. Four blessings from this very rough journey. And it actually, you'll see it again as we end up in chapter 28. But this has been an arduous, difficult, hard journey. And there are four things. One, they're all R words. You can just write them down, single words. Recognize. Recognize the presence of God. Recognize the presence of God even in the darkest times. That's hard to do at times. But He's there. He hasn't left. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't lose sight of you. He didn't drop you. You didn't fall through the cracks recognize the presence of god we see that here in chapter 20 almost the whole of chapter 27 we'll see it more in chapter 28 even in the darkest times god is actually still there second word rely and this is a tough one for us rely on the people of god paul's had to do that all along and they've been few and far between at times they've been almost invisible at times but but we're not in this thing alone You know, sometimes it's just hearing that one word from some brother or some sister or maybe both or coming to church and hearing a message or at a home study and all of a sudden there's that one person that has a message for you. You can rely on the people of God to do what God's told them. And one day you're going to be the messenger. Next day you're going to need to receive the message. One day you're going to be in the hospital. The next day you're going to be the nurse in the hospital. You're going to be the doctor in the hospital. You need to rely on the people of God. God sends them our way at just the right time. Fourth, or the third one, rest. Rest and trust in the promises of God. You know, so very often we don't do that. I'm good at resting in the promises of God for about three nanoseconds in the face of stuff like this. It's like, I believe you're there, God. Thank you very much. And oh, by the way, we need to come up with a plan because we're going aground. That's not resting. Resting is when you have peace in spite of the storm. In spite of the impending shipwreck, you know, and, and this is an area that God is still mightily at work in my own life, because I'm very cerebral, because I think through things at infinitum, because I think I'm smarter than most people, at times. Right? Just an admission, you know. I'm just like, well, they didn't think of this, and you know, but I can see that, so you know, naturally I would be more inclined to have the right information. I, sometimes I don't rest. My brain's going 95 miles an hour. I've come up with four or five plans, and none of them are God's. I'm not resting. And it's mainly because I'm not resting in His promises. I'm trusting in my own intellect, or I'm trusting in my own ability to you know, accomplish some goal or task or get it done. Well, you know, we'll just change the way we order these things. It'll all come out okay. And then finally, the last R here as we wrap this up, remember the purposes of God. God's purpose is not to destroy you. God's purpose is a future and a hope for you. It's good and it's not evil. It's to bring you home to heaven. God has a purpose in everything He does. And God does not have any evil. He is incapable of thinking bad towards you. So when you think about the purposes of God, when you're remembering those things, you keep that eternal perspective. The purposes of God are to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven. Are they not? That, that's the purposes of God. Ultimately, what God does leads to an eternal purpose. And the eternal purpose is to get you home. It's to bring you into that finished state when you get to heaven. And so if we recognize his presence, if we rely on the people, if we rest in his promises and if we remember his purposes, then those storms have a tendency to be a little less frightening. Those shipwrecks, sometimes you kind of get that silly sense of peace that Paul obviously had here. God was going to get him to shore and he knew that. That comes from trusting God in all those facets. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the journeys that sometimes we find ourselves on. That, Lord, they're even frightening. Lord, perhaps there's some in this room tonight. They're on a terrifying journey tonight. Lord, they don't know what tomorrow holds. They have no idea what the coastline is going to look like when they wake up. They're concerned about their family maybe something that's going on with their finances or it's something in the workplace or they're at school maybe it's some relationship that's been broken Lord, perhaps it's something in a in a marriage lord we we do with all that's within us want to recognize your presence in these things and, and rely lord upon those people that you bring in our path and as we rest in you and lord We remember that your purposes are good and they're not evil. God, we're just going to give you those things tonight. We we thank you that no storm is too big and no shipwreck is too violent, Lord, for you to be there in the midst of it and bring us through. And so, God, we bless you. We thank you for the challenges that lie ahead. And we truly do, Lord, want to trust you as the one who will get us home. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray these things. Amen. Hey family of God, chapter 28 begins next week. That would be the final one. So as we finish this about year long journey here in the book of Acts.